0: I think it's fair to say, see if you agree that Omicron is more of an illness of the upper airway and the upper respiratory tract versus Delta seemed to have more potential for lower tract problems.
1: Yes, that's everything that I understand
0: too. Yeah. And that's what I've been seeing. I mean, it's It's been rare now during the pandemic recently with Omicron to see actually infiltrates in people's chest x-rays or CAT scans, which early on in Delta and the original Wuhan A wild strain we were seeing quite frequently. Yeah, it's it's fascinating how this has mutated. And now we have really four strains we're worried about locally, BA-1 and 2, BA-4 and 5. And I just read this morning that actually it's been reported in New York City, a big spike in in BA-5. And BA-5, about 37% in New York City of the people infected apparently have BA-5. Welcome to Finding Your Wellness, a podcast brought to you by the Columbia Association. I am Dr. Harry Oaken, a community physician for over 35 years and the Columbia Association's medical director. I am proud to be working with the Columbia Association for over a decade and assist in their mission to improve the health and wellness of our community. And today, I am thrilled to present our guest that I have known for many years. Dr. Stephen Schimpf is a friend and mentor that I've known since I was a freshman in medical school. He hired me in 1980 to help with some research he was doing at the Baltimore Cancer Research Program associated with the University of Maryland. Our friendship blossomed from that point on. Dr. Schimpf is a graduate of Rutgers University and Yale Medical School. His career spans over 50 years. Even in retirement, he's still active as a writer and a researcher and a professor of medicine at the University of Maryland Medical School and a former professor in the School of Public Policy. He was the founding director of the University of Maryland Greenbaum Cancer Center and a former chief executive officer of the University of Maryland. Dr. Schimpf is board certified in internal medicine, oncology, and infectious disease. And he recently was elevated to a master, the highest honor bestowed by the American College of Physicians. His early career was at the National Cancer Institute, and then at the University of Maryland, where his research on preventing and treating infections in seriously ill cancer patients became acclaimed internationally. Since retirement, he's offered or co-authored at least six books for the general public on medical topics. I was honored to have him work with me on our book, Boom, Boost Our Own Metabolism, A Guide to a Better Life, which had its birth from a program that I developed with the Columbia Association beginning in 2013. Steve, it is great to have you as a guest. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Harry. You know, if my mother was here, she would say, that was a really nice introduction. <laughs>
0: she could have written it herself. Every Thank word you. of it is true. <laughs> thanks, thanks for being here. So we're talking today about really the pandemic, giving a pandemic update to our listeners, and all the ways that the pandemic has affected us. So the first thing I just want to talk about is the global case count. Who would have ever believed that right now in the United States, we've had over 87 million cases of COVID-19 and over a million deaths. When this started 27 months ago, you never could have convinced me that was going to happen. And when we look at how serious it is, we can actually look at deaths per million population. And in in the United States, it's about 3,000 deaths per million of our population. When we look at vaccination rates, we have about 67 percent of the population fully vaccinated, and about another 11% that are only partly vaccinated. We can compare ourselves to other places in the world. Germany's one where they've had 28 million cases and a total of 141,000 deaths, significantly different than us. So I just wanted to start off with talking about the level of infection and how this has affected us globally. Yeah, so Harry, we,
1: we have, a lot of this disparity, I guess, is the word you're trying to use there. And it's been very clear. But, you know, it's the same thing right here in America. One area has a much higher incidence than another area. And the reasons are not always clear. You remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw huge numbers in New York City, and then they declined, you know, all of a sudden fairly rapidly, but not until a lot of people got sick, a lot of people died. And then it picked up in other areas. And, you know, it's never been really clear just why. So, because you started early on in this discussion, there's a lot we don't know and
0: still have a lot to learn. Yeah, so often during this whole pandemic, we thought we knew things, and then we looked back later and found out we were sort of flying blind, and our recommendations have not been consistent based on what we've learned and the behavior of this virus and its variants.
1: Yeah, and, and that's been very true. You know, Think about the mask mandate masks valuable. Initially, we were told in no uncertain terms, don't wear a mask, you don't need to. And then we learned a few months later that, you no, know, the, the long-term belief in about respiratory viral spread is not just by big droplets on your hands or from sneezing and coughing, but just from breathing or talking like I am now, we're singing, or talking loud. And that changed everything to know that these very, very fine aerosols get into the air, and they can float in the air for long periods of time. It took the NIH, it took the World Health Organization months to listen to the aerosol
0: engineers who figured this out. But again, nobody was listening for a while. And you think if we were onto that earlier, we may have changed some of the character of this pandemic. Do you agree? I do, but because we just didn't know. And yet
1: there were these, I call them experiments in nature, Many people probably read this in the newspaper because it was widely published. The Biogen company in in Boston had an international meeting of their senior leadership. I don't remember the exact number of people who were there, something like 85 or so. And one person came from another country and was asymptomatically infected And because they were in a, you know, a relatively small enclosed area for their meeting, and because also, you know, in meetings like that, people, you know, get together afterward or before and talk to each other, it spread to a a huge number of people. And of course, they then took it back asymptomatically to their home communities. And, you know, it was over like 200,000 people eventually, probably more, but anyway, that many could be traced to that one person who came to that one meeting and That person wasn't sneezing, wasn't coughing, it was all the aerosols. And yet there were other experiments like this, I'll call them experiments. If you looked at it, the answer was obvious, but we didn't pick it up quickly and say, hey, that's a problem, wear a mask.
0: You know, recently I reviewed an article that you wrote about this, which really well detailed how we can do a better job in kind of cleaning up the air. And one of the things that I feel very proud about at the Columbia Association is the way we handle air in our gyms. We move air 7 to 11 times per hour in most of the areas of our gyms and it goes through HEPA filters which basically catch the virus. We also have in our uh, athletic centers we have some very large fans which are using a ultraviolet light technology to help purify the air. So There are areas that people can feel comfortable when they go, for instance, to the athletic centers that are probably okay now and probably don't need to wear masks. However, I still believe that if you're in a contained area, such as maybe the studio cycling area, where everything is confined and you have a large group of people heavily, heavily breathing, that probably is not as safe as some of our open areas. But we've done a heck of a great job at Columbia Association, making sure that our gyms are safe. And as far as we know, we have not had any super spreader events, which we we monitor for carefully at the Columbia Association. Well, let's talk a little bit about the current local level of infection. One of the things that I wanted to get your opinion on is, you know, we talk about the prevalence of how often we're seeing this in, let's say, Howard County. And right now, the prevalence is thought to be between 10 and 12%. Do you think that's accurate? Probably not, because some, some people doing at-home
1: testing, they're not telling anybody. I don't mean that in a negative way, just until I got it, and maybe I call you and say, hey, Dr. Cook, I got it, and you tell me what to do, but does
0: it ever get reported anywhere? Probably not. Yeah, to your point, the health department doesn't know about it, right? So I think it's been estimated it may be two times what we think, and so it's very easy to go out there and get even the current variant of Omicron, which we'll talk about a little bit in a minute. So when we talk about the viral players that we have, we started off with the original Wuhan virus, and some people would call it the wild type. And then we had the Delta virus, and now we have the Omicron. Could you talk a little bit about uh, the differences between these and what we've seen and the direction we're going now? Well, a couple of different points. First of all,
1: viruses mutate, and that's what we're seeing. And so we shouldn't be surprised by it, which also says that they're going to mutate into the future. So we're not finished seeing changes. So Delta, you remember, and everybody will remember, was much more severe, if you will, if you caught it, than the original one, which was severe enough. And that came through, you know, I think it was first, I don't remember when it was first time but it, it just swooped through the country. And then it settled down before Christmas and everybody was taking a a sigh or, you know, a, a deep breath. And then Zoom, Omicron shows, and it just took off like crazy. And I guess there's two, important, at least to me, two important points. Delta was very dangerous. If you got it, the chance for getting really sick was much higher than it was with the original strength. Omicron was just the opposite, much more transmissible, much more likely that you would catch it from somebody else, let's just say it that way, but much less likely that you were going to get sick, really sick hospitalization on a ventilator and dying. But there was an important difference that often isn't spoken about. Many, many, many more people got Omicron. And so although there weren't as many getting really sick, there were more people out there with disease, and therefore more people potentially getting sick. Right.
0: So actually, because of the numbers, we see that the death rate still is significant, even though it's a much milder illness. And the people that tend to, I think, get ill with Omicron are people with pre-existing issues or perhaps have not been vaccinated or both. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say, see if you agree that Omicron is more of an illness of the upper airway and the upper respiratory tract versus delta seem to have more potential for lower tract problems.
1: Yes, that's everything that I understand too.
0: Yeah. And that's what I've been seeing I'm mean, it's it's been rare now during the pandemic recently with omicron to see actually infiltrates in people's chest x-rays or cat scans which early on in delta and the original wuhan or wild strain we were seeing quite frequently. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how this has mutated. And now we have really four strains we're worried about locally, BA1 and 2, BA4 and 5. And I just read this morning that actually it's been reported in New York City, a big spike in in BA5. And BA5, about 37% in New York City of the people infected apparently have BA5. That's a huge increase from just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And to your point about how this is aerosolized, small particle. It doesn't apparently take much. And your previous history of even having perhaps Omicron be BA-1 or 2 doesn't protect you, apparently, to any great degree but from BA-4 and 5, which is you know, another thing we didn't expect. Yeah, so I think among many messages here, one message is it's
1: not over yet. And so we'll talk about this later, I know, but I still keep my mask with me.
0: Yeah, And I, I use it a lot. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're going to take a break and then we'll be back. On the latest at the movies. All I really saw was, this is a prequel. Would this you know, compel me to go buy the toy? And I'd like the cat. The rest of it I thought was just noise. And what I thought was missing was, they could have so easily brought in so many of the things they brought out about Buzz Lightyear that were funny, and they could have just thrown them in there for, you know, people who'd watch the other movies. For example, the way Mrs. Potato Head always swooned when Buzz Lightyear accidentally goes into Spanish mode. I thought that was a missed opportunity for an easy laugh. Listen to this episode
1: and all of our podcasts on Dragon potbean.com.
0: Connect with us. So we're back and we're continuing to talk about the pandemic and all the things associated with the pandemic and how it's shaped the last 27 months of our life. So if you become infected with the current variant, one of the Omicron, BA1, BA2, BA4, or 5 and of course you won't know which that is unless you're specifically typed, which is a laboratory experiment that we don't do, but you may know you're positive because you've done a home test. And the home tests have gotten to be much, much better in finding early warning that you have the antigen, which signals that you're positive. So if you become positive, what do we do from there, Steve? You know, I think it's a little bit up in the air. Let
1: me explain what I mean, but I mean, I should put it in terms of risk-benefit. If you're young, you're healthy, you're probably not going to get very sick. You're probably just going to, as we talked about this earlier, it's more of an upper respiratory infection, not a lung infection. So you're going to have a cough, going to have a fever perhaps, and maybe some fatigue, but probably not very sick. So maybe you don't need to take one of the drugs like Plak But on the other hand, if you're older, if you've got a lot of underlying disease, all the things that we know that used to predispose to severe disease, obesity, diabetes, older age, immunosuppression, had a transplant, things of that nature, then certainly you're going to want to get on the
0: antiviral right away. I agree. So what we've seen is the large majority of healthy people that are getting this pretty much sail through this in three to five days. And all they need to do is what they normally would do for an upper respiratory tract infection. Get your rest, keep hydrated, aches and pains, Tylenol, Advil, leave, and wait it out. And of course, they're infectious, so we have to guard for that. To your point about whether or not they should get the antiviral, I think the antiviral is probably indicated for some people, just as you said, immunosuppressed, advanced age, heart disease, lung disease, diabetes. And those decisions for making the choice of whether to be on that, of course, require your physician's input. And I get a lot of calls every day, what should I do? And in general, I feel that if you're healthy, we just wait it out. But at the same time, you have to isolate I think we probably should say that what we're saying right now may not be the general approach.
1: You know, there's this, go to the pharmacy, get tested, get your pills, test and treat. Nothing wrong with that. And I certainly don't want to be giving advice as to what somebody should or shouldn't do. As you just said, Harry, you you need to talk to your own healthcare provider. But one thing is certain that if you're going to take the antiviral, you really want to start right away. And this is true for any viral disease. The drugs that work really are only very efficacious if you start in the beginning. Once the virus is replicated and and caused damage to a lot of tissues, not that it's too late to start, but it's not going to be anywhere near as effective.
0: And I do agree with you. It is a little controversial as to what we're hearing and what actually a lot of physicians are doing. I've found because of the general benignness of this current variant that most people do not need to get on the antiviral. And so there are some issues that we should discuss about if you do get on the antiviral, what you can expect. And some of the things that I've seen have been, number one, which wouldn't affect most people, a terrible taste that people get in their mouth when they take the antiviral. So we know it's in your system and working. But two, there are interactions with certain medications that can be significant. So you know a proper evaluation of what medicines you're on, whether or not it's okay to take this antiviral palaxivir is important. Anticoagulants and actually statin drugs need to be stopped or reconsidered whether or not the benefit is worth the risk. And then finally, something we're starting to hear about a lot, which is this phenomena of Paxlovid rebound. In other words, you take the drug early, you see an immediate response or much improved within some people 24 hours. But after you finish the Paxlovid, there's a group of people that are actually rebounding with the same symptoms that last five to six days. So I think all that glitters is not necessarily gold in this case. Yeah. You have to be very careful with prescribing it, I think.
1: You know, it's really true for all medications. There's no, there's no free lunch. Almost everything that you take, including aspirin, comes with some risk. And so it's a matter of, you know, what the risk is. So I'm 80 years old, but I'm healthy. But- I'm 80, so that means I'm at higher risk for more severe disease. On the other hand, I'm taking two of those medications that Ploxivit can, um, can interact with, and you know I could stop most of them. I wouldn't do it without talking to my doc first, but you know, that's, that's, the, that's the stuff that has to be weighed. It has to be weighed carefully. Just wanna add on one other thing. In your practice, Harry, you have a relatively small number of patients, and they have your cell phone number. For most primary care physicians, you call them and I'm not thinking this to be a negative I don't mean it that way he might not get to them right away and so you got to get that worked out what if I get something I need to get to the doc so call and be, a, be persistent don't take no well I'll talk to him later uh, from the receptionist. say you know wait a minute this is important I got to talk to him really or her very soon
0: very good point I agree Something else to talk about is after infection, what happens. And so you've written about this. It's been published about people who, after they have had a COVID infection, and I think it was more true with Delta than it is in Omicron, what we call long COVID, also known as long hauler syndrome. And the other thing, whether or not you get that or not, I think most people, many people, and the older they are, the more likelihood that they're going to have this, is that after they get even the current Omicron, there is a sense of fatigue that lasts for five to seven days that people say, I'm just not back right, even though their respiratory symptoms were minor. And we're, we're seeing that. But why don't you give us uh, a few comments about long haulers or long COVID and your experience with that?
1: Well, maybe the best way to do it is to give you a couple of patient, not I say patient examples, they're friend examples. I don't practice medicine anymore. But one, just before, this was back in the fall, just before she was to get a booster, developed a, a breakthrough infection. She was just intensely fatigued. That was her biggest problem. And it persisted and it persisted. She came back to work after a month, couldn't handle it, had to go back uh, on, on, on leave again, and eventually retired about eight or nine months later. So the fatigue, it just was you know, overwhelming. And that's about pretty much the only symptom she had. Another person, a good friend, I'll describe what happens. Uh, she had the infection around Christmas time, actually New Year's. It only lasted a few days, and it was, you know, fever, fatigue, and she was better. She was fine until March, and then suddenly she developed. When she got out of bed and started to walk toward the bathroom, her blood pressure would drop, her heart rate would go up, sometimes 150, sometimes even 200, and she just had to collapse, and this has been persistent. Now, she's better now with some drugs. She's seeing some good docs for it, but the other thing that she has is the difficulty breathing, and this is uncommon, it turns out. Not real difficulty breathing, but just not right. And I want to be careful about talking about the treatments here, but she's found that if she does breathing exercises to increase her parasympathetic tone, her vagal tone, using an oximeter, her oxygen level actually goes up three or four points and she feels a lot better. So there are you know little techniques like that around and they're not well publicized, but there are ways to help yourself.
0: You know, those are very interesting points, and a colleague of mine at Cleveland Clinic was telling me that they actually had developed at Cleveland Clinic a long COVID clinic, and they're experimenting with a lot of different ways to try and improve things. Two interesting things they found, however, was in people with long COVID, and this really relates to the folks that had long COVID from Delta or the original Wuhan strain, not necessarily from Omicron, because we're not seeing as much long COVID from Omicron, Is they were doing two interesting things. They had a group of people that they had the infection months before, they gave them the antiviral philaxabit, and about one out of four felt better. That's the first thing that they did. And they had another group of people, even though their infection was three to four months behind them, they reboostered them. And a group of those people felt better. So again, there's a lot of things going on, we just don't know. The other thing that we've seen, and this has been reported, is if you have had Omicron or Delta, or Wuhan, and you get a routine respiratory infection that you would, let say, from a common cold, and there's a number of viruses that do this, it looks like people who get these common colds, which would last typically two to five days, they're prolonged and they're lasting one or two weeks. So something has happened after our immune system got stimulated by this infection to make us in some ways less of a efficacious immune system. So a lot's going on, and we're learning a lot. And so in in our final moments, I want to talk about two other things. The first is the vaccine. The vaccine that's been approved, as you know, is the mRNA vaccines by Pfizer and Moderna. I understand the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is no longer being made. So those vaccines, presently, if you take them, and most people have gotten the primary series, which was one week and three weeks later, and then a booster, which typically was for many people given around November or December in 2021. Now people have the availability of a fourth shot, which would be a second booster. And interestingly, both Pfizer and Moderna have said this booster does not have activity against the current strain. Thoughts?
1: Well, I should say, because again, because I'm 80, I went and got the booster. Is <laughs> it going to do me any good? I don't know. And just to your last point, does it work against the last these these last strains? I just read something this morning that said, well, maybe it does. But again, what the companies are doing is they're trying to, to develop a, uh, a vaccine that'll have efficacy against Omicron. It is relatively easy to do, but there has to be a lot of testing done. I understand that I don't know which one of the two companies just sent information to the FDA, and their hope is to have a, I guess we'll call it a booster in the fall, which would be effective, but again, against the current strains. But the question then is, will it be effective against whatever new strain
0: happens to come along? And we don't know what that new strain might be. Yeah, I think there will be targeted vaccinations. And I'm very, very optimistic that a newer vaccine, we'll call it a second generation vaccine, which works differently. It's not an mRNA vaccine, but a subunit vaccine will be available in the fall and we will have excellent activity or polyvalent activity among the variants as well as Delta and Wuhan. And so we're looking forward to that. So lastly, as we only have a couple minutes left, we're 27 months into this, and we've all experienced the emotional, psychological impact of this. And, and some people call it, you know, pandemic compression. Some people call it being pangry. It's been tough out there, hasn't it? It has. I think we're
1: seeing it in, um, this, is just, this is just Steve's thoughts. I think we're seeing it in society in general, there's the, but we know there's been a lot more people have been out of work, that means they're out of money, and, and that means, uh, you know, family distress, sometimes spouse abuse, sometimes drug abuse, sometimes suicides, especially in younger people. I think there's a lot of stuff that, again, we call it stuff that's going on that we're not clear about, but I think it's true. All of us feel a lot of frustration. I know I do. You know, do I have to wear this damn mask when I go into the grocery store? I don't know if I do or don't, but I do wear it. And should I go and have dinner at a restaurant? You know, there's all sorts of questions like that, and they're very frustrating.
0: It's been tough. I'm actually, though, optimistic as we march forward with what we understand about the viruses and the, and, the, and the variants that we're going to do better and better. Well, Steve, it was great catching up with you and putting out this information for our listeners this uh, concludes our episode today, but for our listeners, be sure to listen to our podcasts at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com. And I am Harry Oken, and this is Finding Your Wellness. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.